Guns and Yoga podcast. My name is Wendy Hummel. Today's episode is a special one for a few reasons. I speak with a dear friend of mine, Kim Colgrove. Kim and I met back in 2017, and I can honestly say that I'm a better person today for knowing her. Kim is also the first podcast guest to come back on the show for a second time. So if you missed the first episode with Kim back in 2021, I encourage you to check it out. I will put the link in the show notes. In our conversation, we catch up on what Kim's been up to since our first episode a few years ago. We discuss her online training platform, the Pause First Academy, the re-release of her book, Mindfulness for Warriors, which is now called the Mindfulness for Warriors Handbook, and the new book that she's working on set to release in February 2024. Kim goes into detail about some of the courses offered on the Pause First Academy platform and discusses the reason that she handpicked her trainers. All are either current or retired first responders with a particular skill set in personal growth, resilience, mindfulness, meditation, yoga, emotional intelligence, holistic health, leadership, and more. Some of the more overlooked softer skills. Kim has graciously provided a coupon code just for the listeners of this podcast, one month of a free premier membership so that you can try as many of the courses as you'd like. That information will be in the show notes as well, but the coupon code is guns and yoga. Kim also shares a story about a conversation that she had at a training last year with someone who told her that her book saved his life. This conversation was the impetus for the reason for the re-release of her first book and the second book that she's currently writing, Wellness Warrior Style. Kim and I discussed the topic of suicide, which can be difficult for some to hear, but the story of her husband's suicide nearly nine years ago is the reason that she does what she does. Her why can be distilled down to one thing. She doesn't want any other family to experience what she and her family are still experiencing today. Of course, no conversation with Kim would be complete without some talk of meditation and mindfulness and the tool that she is so passionate about sharing with the first responder population. Her book is a great start for those who want to learn more. Plus, she offers a free 21-day meditation jumpstart program on the Pause First Academy website. Kim addresses how meditation and mindfulness have become more prevalent in recent years, their roots in ancient warrior practice, and the amount of evidence that backs it up, and its efficacy. Kim's ability to integrate her lifetime of accumulated practice, her learning and teaching, and an easy-to-learn approach is what makes her so unique. At a time where there's access to so much information, Kim not only explains that meditation is the daily habit or exercise that cultivates mindfulness, a way or a state of a being that helps you step out of survival mode and into the present moment, but how you can apply this in your personal and professional life. Meditation improves brain function and alters our physiology. Just like when I lead someone in a yoga class or a breathing exercise for the first time, Kim says you have to experience it or feel it to truly get it. I have a quick story to illustrate this point even further. Just last week, I spent four hours with a group of recruits. During the classroom portion of the resilience class that I teach them, one of them openly shared that the difficulty they were having just sitting still in the classroom. 
This isn't something unusual, and I often find this more and more every time I teach recruit classes. One of the tools that we discuss during the class is meditation and mindfulness, and I ask the group if anyone has ever tried meditation before, and a few hands go up. This same recruit said that it's very difficult for them to meditate since they have such a hard time sitting still. I acknowledged how they were not alone in this and how these practices can be viewed on a spectrum. Maybe they could try moving around and working their body before meditation and see how that goes. We ended the day with a yoga class that I'd describe as beginner to intermediate level. During the class, we focused on mindful movement, breath work, and some physical challenges. In other words, a body up practice by focusing on the body first before settling into stillness at the end of class, the part of class where we meditate, they were able to relax. The feedback they provided was that they felt much better, less anxious, and surprised that they could actually settle down and be still. Like Kim said, sometimes you have to feel it to get it. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Kim as much as I did. Welcome to the Guns and Yoga podcast. My name is Wendy Hummel, and today I am so delighted to talk to my friend, my colleague, Kim Colgrove. Kim is the first returning guest on this podcast. In fact, she was the first ever uh, person to be on the show back in February of 2021 when we launched. So welcome back, Kim. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Yes, so am I. This is going to be fun. So, uh, for those who aren't familiar with Kim and you're living under a rock, I'll let her kind of do a quick introduction <laughs> to her, to, to all the things that she has been up to. But in all seriousness, um, Kim and I met back in 2017 and here we are six plus years later. And not only are we working together, but we are dear, dear friends. And I am so fortunate to have met her. My, my life, my world is a better place because of her. And I really think that you're all going to feel the same way after listening to this episode. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So Kim, um, since you've been uh, with us the last time, like I said, a couple of years ago, I want you to kind of just give people a little bit of an overview of some of the things that you've been doing. And, and, and I'll kind of give you a starting point. You are an author. Um, you are a course instructor, um, you're a lot of other things, but you, uh, you wrote a book called mindfulness for warriors. And I know people can't see us, but you've got a big poster behind you. Um, it was a book that I believe was released in 2020, of course, right when the pandemic hit. Um, but many, many hundreds and thousands of people have read it. And I, I'd really like for you to speak about that. But I'd also like for you to let the listeners know a little bit about what motivated you or inspired you to write your book. And I think we'll start there. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yes. Mindfulness for Warriors was released officially on March 17th of 2020. And it's the exact same day that we found out locally where I live that the world was shutting down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so that was a very weird launch for that book. The book was motivated by uh, the loss of my husband, which we talked about in your first ever episode, the fact that I lost my husband to suicide just a couple of months after he retired from a 30-year law enforcement career. So that was definitely the original impetus 
for me to turn my awareness to the pain, suffering, struggling, stress, and trauma of first responders. And the more I learned about how many other people were struggling similarly to David and just how ubiquitous it is, the more I wanted to do something to help. So I started by teaching mindfulness and meditation to law enforcement and then opened that up to all first responders. And then at some point along the path, I thought, I know what it was. I wrote the article. I wrote an article about David's suicide. Um, That was kind of the impetus that made me want to write a book uh, and really open up this conversation, shine a spotlight on how prevalent it is, and just try and do something to improve the situation for first responders. Well, and we are uh, really fortunate that you took that step because I know for one, I'm, I'm so glad you did that because I know from knowing you how impactful that work has been, your raw vulnerability, um, sharing your life and inside kind of into your life with David and what that looks like, because I know that wasn't easy for you. Um, but I think, you know, I, I feel pretty confident to say, I know that it's saved other people's lives and you know it too. And you'll, you'll share some of those stories with us, I think today. So I appreciate the fact that you wrote that article, that you wrote this book and that you're continuing to do this work. So what I, I'd like, if you don't mind sharing since, uh, the, uh, the book was released during the pandemic, which of course, isn't the most ideal time. What have you been up to since? And that's a, I know there's a lot. So you start wherever you feel is the best place to go. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. But um, let me see if I can do kind of Reader's Digest version. So in, in the months before the book was released, I had started to reach out to some of the awesome people that I had met teaching and traveling like you. I had reached out to you and um, Darren Ivey and... Brenda Dietzman, I started to reach out to people that I had met and ask you guys if you wanted to do some teaching and training and speaking together. And so I had just brought on a whole little small team of people, independent contractors. Um, And so the plan then was at the end of 2019, early 2020, was that we would do speaking and teaching and training and conferences, right? Uh, But just as we were getting that rolling, in fact, I had already booked jobs for myself and others all the way through 2020. I think I had jobs booked all the way through November 2020. And then the world shut down. So all of those jobs went away. All of my jobs went away. All of the ones that I had booked for any of the other trainers. And and I couldn't go out and promote the book or do anything with the book. It was such a weird time. So that's where I got the idea to create an online platform. And I reached out to all of you guys who had signed on and I said, Hey, if I create an online platform, will you guys do some online courses? And everybody said, sure. Even though not one of us had ever done an online course of any kind. So that's what, that was kind of the birth of pause first Academy. And, uh, we managed to put together the online platform. And we officially launched it then on December 1st of 2020 with our first corporate client, which was Missouri Department of Corrections. And um, everything has just kind of grown 
since then. Such a weird and winding road that led us to create the online academy, but I'm really glad that I did because I don't think, I don't think that's something I would have done if I wouldn't, if, if, it, if my hand wouldn't have been forced. Yeah. There's always, you know, there's always like that, that bright spot in some, sometimes that we don't necessarily, we can't really see it at the time. And it's funny to hear you say that because I'm thinking back to those times when you first asked uh, us to create online courses. And I was like, what the heck, where do I start? (laughs) And so just resilience, adaptability and growth, just having to figure these things out. Um, And so if you don't mind, you know, you mentioned that you have core trainers that are part of the pause first academy your team as you always refer to us as if you don't mind you don't have to take too much time with this one but i think it'd be great if you could just highlight very briefly each and each instructor and you know a little bit about their background and maybe why it was that you reached out to them specifically because i know there are so many people that you come into contact with so what was it about those five that that made you want to be them you made Want, you wanted them to be a part of Pause First Academy. Sure, yeah. Well, for sure, it was uh, every one of you were already teachers, speakers, trainers. You had already been teaching, speaking, leading within your own professions and your own organizations. And all five of you were wellness focused already and had been. So it, it, it was that you had already worked in the world of resilience and wellness for first responders. You were already teaching, speaking, you already had the chops for that. And plus I really liked each one of you. So, um, Aww. so there's Wendy Hummel with the background in law enforcement. There's Eric Hulse with the background in law enforcement. Um, we're law enforcement heavy here on this training team. It just has happened that way. Angela Crusoe Yaney with the background in, uh, military and fire and EMS, who's now an EMS chief and, uh, Darren Ivy background in uh, military and law enforcement, Brenda Dietzman with a big background in law enforcement and just an excellent, outstanding team. And boy, can I pick them? (laughs) Yeah, that's it. I feel like I'm in very good company. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Okay, so the Pause First Academy, while we're, while we're on this, tell everyone a little bit about how it's grown since you launched it at the end of 2020. Yeah, oh gosh. Well, um, we have individual members and we also have, as you know, uh, more co- uh, corporate-focused members, so organizations that purchase a subscription and then give it to their employees for free. Um, as a wellness tool or, you know, for personal growth, some, some organizations use it to help their employees meet continuing ed- education credits as well. Um, but it's, it's growing and flourishing. It's, um, it's been a little bit of a slog. I mean, it's been a little bit of a slow process getting the word out there because, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a difficult thing to explain. And also it's, it's hard to get, it's hard to break through, uh, sheriff's departments and police departments and, you know, and, and fire departments because they don't have a whole big, you know, HR training team, a lot of them training department, you know, so getting to the right people and then explaining what it is that we offer, but we're plugging along and, you know, all of us still do in-person training as well. But the online service I think is a nice value added for people because you can learn about some of the stuff that's really important and becoming super prevalent in first responder professions, right? This wellness piece and resilience piece, it's not a trendy fad. 
I mean, this is, has to be a way of life now for people. We can't, we can't go back. So, uh, I think for individuals to be able to learn a little bit about some of the mental and emotional and physical wellness and health pieces that have just never been taught, (laughs) you know, in these professions, like you didn't learn in the academy, how the importance of taking care of your mental health and your emotional health and how chronic inflammation over years can create a lot. And so that, that kind of a thing I think makes the, um, the online platform important. Yeah. And if you could, I can't remember the number, but approximately how many courses are on the Academy right now? Um, I believe there are, I should know this right off the top of my head. Shouldn't I I believe there's 46 published Mm -hmm. courses within the premier membership, which is our, our featured product. Uh, and there's also a free 21 day meditation jumpstart course on there. Free, 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 free for anybody to anybody. And that's outside of, um, that premier membership, but yeah, 46 solid courses published underneath that premier membership. That's a lot of content. And I want, I want to speak just really briefly to the whole online platform, because like you spoke to, this was something that was a response to the pandemic. This is something that you did because we couldn't do in-person training for, for a few years. And of course now things are changing. We're shifting back. And I don't mean just we in pause first Academy. I mean, in general, in law enforcement and the world, we're doing more things together in person. But what I have noticed in in doing this work in my full-time job is that the online platforms aren't going away. Um, I'm not saying they're being complete. They're, they're replacing completely in-person training because they're not. But what I have noticed is uh, what started as something that we had to do as a response to the pandemic is also now something that's uh, really worthwhile and working uh, because some agencies, in fact, a lot of agencies have staff shortages and to send people physically to training. um, This is something that you can do at your own pace. You can do it any time of day. You can do it over your lunch hour. You can do it in the evenings. And so I think it's really effective and efficient and smart for agencies who may be listening, who are thinking about ways to kind of incorporate this stuff, whether it be to get in service hours or just to help your people. It's brilliant. And to also supplement it with in-person training. So I don't see this ever going away. And and in fact, uh, I just recently, well, not recently, over the past year, I, I looked at a study that was done by the National FOP. And they were looking at a lot of different things, but resources that agencies were using, resources that they had in place. And one of them was online training. And it was the number one utilized resource. And it might have been the number one utilized resource because they were mandated. But it just goes to show you that this is something that's here to stay. Yeah, it's not going anyplace. It can absolutely augment in-person training. And I think uh, a differentiator between our online content and what people might envision when they hear online training, like I roll, oh my God, horrible, boring, mandatory training. But our courses are created by your peers. Our instructors have backgrounds as veterans and first responders. And uh, so it's, it's hard to get that vision out of people's minds. I know about mandatory, boring training that they've had before. And also these courses focus on personal growth. That's, that's, 
that's huge. Uh, 100% online training can augment in-person training, and I don't believe it's going anywhere. Technology is improving, like is by the day now, right? And uh, online and virtual everything is just going to become more and more prevalent. And honestly, we had our first, we just contracted with a new organization and they did this on their own. And I think it's brilliant. It'll be interesting to see how this works out. So in the past, when organizations have signed on, they let it, it's optional. If their employees want a pause first Academy account, they just request one and, you know, they sign up. They don't just deploy it out to everybody because they know, you know, a lot of people won't use it or whatever. But this organization is do, having us come in and do their in-service training in person. So we're doing in-service training all on wellness and resilience and that. And then they are purchasing a subscription for their employees and they're requiring that their employees take one Pause First Academy course a month. Uh, so on wellness, they can choose any course they want, but then I've never had this before. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. And they're really relying on us when we do the in-service training to soften the blow for everybody. Cause you know, as soon as anyone hears mandatory training, they want to run. But just soften the blow by like, hey, this is not what you're thinking. This is personal growth. This is for stress reduction. This is for you to understand what stress and trauma has done to your health and how you can make some improvements. These are courses you can sit down with your spouse at home and take for your own stress reduction and, you know, well-being. So anyway, uh, I think that's the, the best combo is in-person and online, you know, a balance of both. Yeah. And you, you speak to something really important because I know this well, because my full-time job is, is being a health and wellness manager at a sheriff's office. And I don't think it's enough to get a subscription or get a resource and leave it to them. No to way. It. That's the, you, we've, you, yes, we've learned that the hard way with a couple of yeah. our clients who just right. signed up, but then they didn't do anything to really promote it or support it. You're correct. <laughs> you, you need someone. Um, and, and ideally it's someone who is in a full-time position and that's what their, that's what their role is, is to reinforce the resource, um, following up with people, holding them accountable. Um, it's the only way to do it. I mean, you can tell people things seven, eight, nine times, and they're, maybe even still not going to read an email or listen to something that was said, or maybe they're on vacation at the time. So, so I think what you just said is crucial with all of this, um, with this resource is that whoever, you know, if, if someone's listening and this is something they're thinking about bringing to their agency, you absolutely really to make it work and to make it valuable, you have to have somebody on their end, making sure that, that people are following up. Yeah. So that's I, something that I, I, I really emphasize now with new people who come on is that they have to assign a project manager or an ambassador, at least within their organization. It's, and it doesn't have to be a huge investment of, of time or effort, but they just work with me, uh, to make sure that we're regularly tr doing something to engage their people and remind their people that we're there. I tend to do a lot of the heavy lifting. We'll just do something s simple, like a challenge, you know, we'll do like a wellness challenge just to you know, get the information back out there. But yeah, you're right. You can't just purchase it and let it sit there. Yeah. Well, I, I want to shift gears just a little bit. So you've got this robust um, curriculum or, or menu of courses. You've got these trainers on board, but it all started with you, your story, your article, and your book. 
and both obviously we're friends so i know a lot about what you're up to but i want you to let everyone else know um that you are re-releasing the book and if you could share a little bit about that with everyone yeah so mindfulness for warriors is going to be re-released with a new cover um, a slightly new title and some new a little bit of new information and it's pretty much the same book but um we, you and I, and a couple of other trainers did, um, a, a full day training in December last year of 2022. And that training we did is our eight hour training for retirees, as you know, cause you were there. And, uh, and that course is for people who will be retiring in about five years or so, or people who are already retired. And we just deal with the mental, emotional, the health, the wellness, the, you know, all that stuff. We're, we're not talking about money. If you're retired and your money isn't right, we're, we're not the people for you, but we were doing that training. And, uh, and a, a guy came up to me on a break and looked me in the eyes and he was teary. And he said to me, I wanted you to know that your book saved my life. And I was so mm. taken aback. Yeah. Um, that's not what I expected. Cause typically on a break, when people come and talk to us, they'll ask mm. us about a slide we had earlier or something like that. And, uh, but I will say that wasn't the first time I had heard that. And he wasn't the first person who had said those words to me. And it is unbelievably humbling for someone to sit, t tell you something you did saved their life. So he went on to say very clearly, I had a suicide plan and I was ready to execute that plan. I had my finances in place and then somebody sent me your book. And I read it and he said, I stopped drinking. I repaired my relationship with my daughter and I changed my mind. I decided not to take my life. Wow. Unbelievable. So about a week later, I had my annual holiday get together with my publishing company. So it's the publisher, the CEO was on this call and, um, and a group of authors. And it was kind of a fun little get together. But we do go around, everybody say something about your year, say something about your book, tell a little story, whatever you want. And when it was my turn, I talked about that, what had just happened the week before. And I told that story. So a uh, couple of weeks later, uh, my editor, publisher reached out to me and said, we were really moved by that story. And we, she and I had a couple of more conversations. And eventually she said, we have decided to create a new imprint within the publishing company called books that save lives. And we would like to start with your book, mindfulness for warriors, but we would like to do a re-release and do a fresh cover and adjust the title a little bit and, and do a re-release. And I agreed to that. And then I went about trying to find who the man was that had spoken to me at the, at our workshop, because I, I was so caught off guard that, that I didn't really register like his name tag or who he was. And in anyway, little detective work. And I tracked him down and I asked him if he would allow me to interview him. And he did. And it's such a meaningful interview. He tells the full story and that's going in the re-release of mindfulness for warriors, which is, will be called the mindfulness for warriors handbook. And and then he'll also be in the new book that I'm writing the second book. Okay. And we're definitely going to get to the new book, but just, but just backing up just a little bit. 
so I don't forget to ask you, when can the listeners expect your first book to be re-released? I wish I had that date. All I can say is I think fall of 2023. Okay. So right around the corner. I mean, you and I, it's, it's already August right now. So, yeah. okay, great. I, I can't wait. So same, same basic book, but a little bit of additional content with that new interview and a few other things. Yeah. Just a little bit of additional content. There is, um, a, I've written some more, uh, the interview with, with Keith, who, who told me the book saved his life, um, and some additional resources. And there's, um, uh, a publisher's preface, just a little bit of additional information, pretty much the same book. Okay, great. Excuse me. Before I ask you about your second book, I want to pause and there's no pun intended here, but, but really I want to take a pause and just kind of take everything in what you've said, because it's, it's just so amazing. uh, The impact that you have had since releasing the book and doing everything that you're doing. And um, I mean, I know the answer to this, but I think it's important for those listening Um, especially if they've never heard you before on the first podcast, if you had to sum up why this work is so important to you, why you do what you do, could you share that? I mean, you touched upon it a little bit in the beginning, but just kind of to emphasize um, why you do what you do. Yeah, I think really simply, uh, my husband's death was thoroughly devastating it completely blew up my life and you know, he had just retired. I was so excited from retired life with David. I mean, I was, I had my business going, I was teaching mindfulness in corporate settings. He was starting a new business, but simply put, I don't want other spouses and families to go through what I and my family went through. And It's over eight years later. It'll be nine years Thanksgiving weekend. And the reverberations from my husband's death go on and on and on. And I can't believe that I'm looking at nine years now. And it still just rattles us and shakes us. And it just upended everything. So if I can do anything to help other families avoid this, I want to. And now it kind of feels like I need to, or I have to, like, it just, it feels important. Well, and again, I I said this earlier, but it, it's truly so important. And I, I know how impactful your, what you're doing is because, um, unfortunately I am, you know, familiar with, Um, not on a personal level, but I see it all the time. I see people struggling in this profession that want to die Um, and reading your book, talking to somebody like you, hearing from someone like you, you and I talked about this before, before we recorded, but what's special and unique. And I know so difficult at all at the same time about your story is that those that are contemplating dying by suicide, they're hearing from somebody left behind. Um, and you know, they're in so much pain. I understand that now. Um, it's not so much about them wanting to die. It's about them just being in so much pain. They want it to end. Uh, I know there's a lot more to it than that. Um, but not really realizing that, um, I think you even said this earlier, um, 
they think that their families, their friends, their agency will be better off without them when in fact you remind them you are living proof that that's absolutely not the case. That is absolutely not the case. And uh, as I told you earlier, and I, I have probably said this to you before, I am a very empathic person. I, I, I wish I didn't, couldn't, didn't feel other people's feelings as much as I do, or I wish I didn't have the ability to really stand in another person's shoes, but I do, I always have. And so I can get into the feeling place of someone who is suffering, literally suffering mentally, emotionally, and feeling desperate and helpless and just wanting the pain to stop, I can understand that. And I can understand getting to the end of a rope where you feel like taking your own life is the only relief. There's no relief day over day, over day, over day. There's no relief. And I know a big part of the story is when someone gets into that place, they say, they think about their family. They think about their loved ones and they go in their mind somewhere they will be better off without me. I'm a drain on my spouse. I'm a drag on my family. I'm a, you know, whatever it is that, you know, they're feeling so bad about everything. And uh, I mean, they might be a little sad, but they'll be fine. They'll be better off. And while I can understand it, <laughs> I want to shout from the rooftops. It's just not true. There is help available. There, there, there is light at the end of this tunnel I mean, David was not in good shape and we were desperately trying to figure out how to help him. And I know so much more now than I knew then. Obviously, if I knew then what I know now, I, I would have known what to do to help. Uh, there are so many more resources now. It's it, just under a decade later, but people are talking about it and there's tons of resources. So um, if anybody is working with has a friend, a spouse, or the individual themselves hears this episode and is feeling like this or knows someone who they know is feeling like this, the message has to be, please hang on for one more day and let's find the resources for you because they will not be better off without you. It devastates people for the rest of their life. I am not trying to guilt trip anyone who's in a bad place, but the truth is if you believe this is the only thing that will end my suffering. What happens is that suffering is just handed down to whoever you leave behind. It's like you take that suffering and then you just rain it down on the people you leave behind so that it can't be the answer. Yeah. And, and I'm so glad that you are continuing to shout it from the rooftops because I don't think that we can say it enough. Um, I know in my experience, this doesn't happen very much, not, not definitely hasn't happened at all recently, but I've had people say that a lot of talk about suicide is uh, fear mongering is, you know, it, it's not really happening. I don't know why we're talking about it. Where are the numbers? Where's the evidence? And um, I absolutely know, I know, you know, um, that isn't the case. And we need to talk about it in a way that's responsible. But like you said, the important part is talking about it, having other people sharing the stories, the ones that you're bringing to light will let people know, first of all, that they're not alone. They're not the only ones that are experiencing these thoughts and that someone else was able to get through it. 
and serve as that example that there is a way out. And then, of course, what I love about about what you share are the resources that you know that are vetted. And if you could speak to, I mean, I can explain it as well, but what does it mean to have a vetted resource or program? Because you and I were talking, you can do a Google search and you can put in a whole bunch of things and things can pop up. Um, there's dangers in that. So maybe you can speak to, if you would like, you know, what it, what it takes to become a vetted resource. And if you would like to share any that you're familiar with. Well, so in terms of therapists and clinicians and programs, vetting and finding culturally competent programs and therapists and clinicians is that's, it's an, that's non-negotiable because someone who's not familiar and competent working with first responders in this specific culture can do more harm than good. So, and I know you're very, very knowledgeable in this, in this area. So for me, the tools and skills and practices that you can learn from other first, like what has worked for you? What have you done? You know, Oh, I changed my diet or I started practicing mindfulness, you know, those kind of things. That's one thing, but where it involves therapy or attending a program, it's really important to do diligence is important and really best if you talk to a person or a couple of people who have been through that program or, uh, you know, someone, I don't think you can just randomly find one online and jump on a plane and go to a program. I, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. And I can say, I, I want to insert this because it's something I'm familiar with. If someone who's listening is list, is looking for a list of vetted programs, the national FOP has a website and they, they vet each and every resource that they list on their website. And they do that with first responders who are either active or they're retirees. That's just one resource. But I know locally we do that at the agency I work at. Uh, I know you don't recommend programs or any, or any resources unless you have are familiar enough to be able to say that they're, they've been vetted. So it's something that's really important and crucial um, when we're having this conversation about seeking help. Yes, for sure. And um, a lot of first responders um, either don't want to go to therapists or go to therapists and don't have a good experience with the first one. And so they, you know, they give up. But if you can find a a therapist or clinician that specializes in trauma and um, that understands the culture, man, it can just be a game changer. And I hear, I have heard from so many people after the first book, and I'm sure it'll happen after the second book as well. The difference that you guys made in that book, those of you that I interviewed for the first book, the nine first responders and veterans um, who were in Mindfulness for Warriors, it's, it's what people comment on more than anything else from the book. They'll say, oh, I, that person's story is ex- almost my exact same story. And so I started to look into those resources. And uh, a lot of people have gotten help or found new wellness resources because of you guys. Because they see someone that's like them that they know probably feels the way they do. And so now the idea of seeking help or reaching out for a new wellness tool or practice, uh, it, it opens their mind, it opens their heart to it. So you know, seriously, a big thank you to all nine of you guys and the dozen or so that I'm interviewing for the next book, uh, because you first responder types, warrior types, veterans also, 
you really trust your own people. You know, you really trust and have a hard time trusting people from, from outside of that. And, you know, understandable. Yeah. And you, you hit the nail on the head and that's a big part of why I like to talk to people like you on this podcast, because stories really are the thing that make people understand. It makes them be able to relate. You know, there's all different kinds of science about different parts of our brains that are activated when we hear other people's stories versus just hearing facts and evidence and, and all that left brain stuff. And, and you mentioned this book. So this next book that you're working on and you've got even more stories to share of with, with other first responders, couple questions. So first, what made you decide to write a second book? And second, can you tell us a little bit, maybe give us a sneak peek into some of the things that we have to look forward to, or some, maybe even some of the stories that we have to look forward to in this, this up and coming book? Sure, sure, sure. Well, I, I think probably um, that incident that happened at our December training um, where uh, Keith told me, told me the book saved his life and then just talking to him in that interview with him. But I, I think that was probably what inspired me. I, I thought, okay, this book has been impactful. I've heard from a lot of people now and, um, and a lot of people have found, um, the battle within through the book as well, which is another organization I work with. And, and, you know, we've had all these great stories from that. So I think that made me think, you know, I should maybe think about a second book where we talk about even more resources and bring, you know, more information to people. I feel like this demographic is ready now and open-minded and open-hearted more than before and kind of hungry for this information and learning more about how to take good care of themselves from their peers, you know, yeah, from I, people I who have walked the path. Yeah. Yes. Not that I I'm agree. their peer. I'm not their peer. I'm the facilitator, you know, I'm the, I'm the mediator and the facilitator but everyone I'm interviewing for the book, they're, they're peers. And so the new book is called Wellness Warrior Style because that's the only style warriors are going to take wellness in. You know, <laughs> they're not all about the woo-woo, new agey, you know, frou-frou stuff. It's got to be uh, warrior style. And just a whole new crew of first responders and veterans that I'm talking to that bring more depth and um, more healing modalities, more healing tools. These conversations, oh my gosh, I love these interviews so much. These conversations and we have like all new ideas now and some of the, um, so I always ask everybody like, what tools did you find useful? And some of these people were in a very, very, very dark place. Multiple of these people shared that they had considered suicide. And then they share, you know, what changed for them? What was their turning point? And they share what are some tools they used? And so we have a whole new crop of ideas and tools from these people. A lot of them said some of the same ones that you guys talked about. Um, and I just think this is so important, uh, to keep offering more and more and more of this information, just like your podcast does. You offer so many great stories and also so many great ideas and books and modalities and, and practices to inspire people and motivate people to focus on their mental health and their wellness and their resilience. So 
wow, that was a really long answer to a really short question. But oh, I no, do no, think no. Keith okay. inspired the second book. I, I really do think Keith inspired the second book, make, you know, caused me to want to put more information out there. And, um, I, I am really excited for this second one, which will be coming out in February. Wow. That's pretty quick. So you've got the re-release coming up this fall and then we should expect hopefully the new book in February of 2024. Correct. Okay. And we'll definitely, maybe we'll have to talk a little bit more when the time comes to remind everyone to, to go buy that second book. I do want to push back just a little bit on something you said, um, when you said you're the facilitator, you're not a peer. Um, so one of the things that I feel very strongly about is that our family members, um, they are part of everything that we do. And someone said it, and I don't remember where I heard this term. I've said it before in this podcast is that family members are the hidden heroes. And so, although you may not look at yourself as a peer, and I know you're not, or have never been a first responder, and I don't think you ever plan on it. Maybe you'll go on a ride along. No, Maybe you no have man. been. <laughs> but my point is, is that you, you are a part of, of the first responder family because of, because of your marriage to David. And so I think a lot of times family members don't look at it like that. So I just want to make sure I, that's how I feel. Well, thank feel, you for that. And I actually talked about that in my first book a little bit because I was teaching a class one time and I, I made it early, early on when I was first working with first responders and I made a comment like that. Um, like, I know that I don't understand exactly what you guys do because I'm not a first responder. And then I told the story in the first book about how the guy stopped me in the hall afterwards and said, Hey, I want to talk to you. I can you know, stop diminishing yourself because you're one of us. And he said, I told, I tell my wife, she's one of us because she's married to me. So yeah, thank you for mm -hmm. that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Honorary and peer. I'm an honorary peer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, um, and then I, I think we probably should, should talk about this because we haven't really so far yet. You and I know so much about this topic that, that I don't want to not address this at least a little bit in the podcast is that mindfulness for warriors. Um, so there's a whole spectrum of, of different resources and tools that first responders can use and mindfulness is one of them. You talk about it in your first book. Um, and I know you're going to continue to talk about that for those who don't really know very much about mindfulness. And for those who don't know anything about meditation, I think it, it may warrant just a brief explanation and maybe you just telling everyone why mindfulness, why is it so helpful? Why? Why is it that you think that this is something that first responders um, should at least be open to trying and why it could help them? Sure. Or how it could help them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when I first started working with first responders, uh, all I did was teach meditation and mindfulness because I really believed those were powerful tools that would help first responders in multiple ways. And also it's, it's what I was doing professionally. So I was already teaching meditation and mindfulness in corporate settings, and it's my very favorite topic. So that's why I decided to write a book and include mindfulness for first responders, mindfulness for warriors, uh, and meditation and mindfulness are evidence-based powerful personal practices that are now being recommended by physicians, therapists, psychiatrists, uh, as viable stress reduction tools, but more than that as well. Meditation and mindfulness are also ancient practices 
used by warrior cultures for thousands of years. So in recent times, in modern times, they've gotten a little bit of a um, bad reputation maybe as being hippy-dippy or, you know, weirdo or new agey or whatever. But the fact is there's been a lot of research that supports these practices now. And they're becoming more and more prevalent uh, across these first responder professions. So the military is using, using meditation and has for quite a while. So the way I look at these two practices is meditation as being the daily exercise or the daily habit that cultivates mindfulness. And mindfulness is a way of being or a state of being more present in each moment, more present, more aware in each moment, and therefore more present and aware in your life. So I've said this a million times, but it sort of helps you step out of survival mode and stop operating only on autopilot all the time and get a little more checked in you know, to the moments of your life and into your life. So I think meditation is that daily discipline. It takes a little, you, you got to learn how to do it and it takes a little bit of practice, but you're a daily discipline or exercise. And then uh, that really helps to, to promote mindfulness. And, you know, we, you and I could talk about this for a, an hour, but once first responders learn how they can apply that personally and professionally, and the changes and the improvements that can happen in the brain activity and the body chemistry, so that physiological benefit, then they, then they get it and they're locked in. They just have to understand that really kind of meaty evidence-based piece. Yeah. And I, you, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to that. I think it's something that you actually have to try to understand it. You can you can read all the research, you can read your book, which by the way, is a great place to start if you haven't, if you don't know much about this, but doing it is really the way to, to fully understand how it can be beneficial because you might feel it. Um, and, and one of my absolute favorite quotes from your book, I share it all the time when I'm teaching, especially new recruits about this practice, is that meditation is to mindfulness as exercises to fitness. It's like you said, and I just, it, it just really, it's so relatable because most first responders, at least at some point in their life, have worked out. They, you know, you want to get more fit. Everybody knows what it's like to exercise. So it's, it makes perfect sense to put it in those terms. If we're going to spend all this time working at our body, we can't forget about our mind. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's the best line of the whole, of this whole podcast interview right there. You cannot separate your mental health from your health. It's mental health, emotional health, physical health. It, it, it's, you can't separate it all out. It's all part yeah. of your health and well-being. Yes. Yeah. And this is a really good segue into what I wanted to talk about next, because on the Pause First Academy, you have a whole, I mean, 46, I think is what you said, courses that really cover this holistic spectrum of mental, emotional, physical, personal growth, resilience. Do you mind um, sharing what maybe some of the course titles are, if you're, if you're willing to do that? And then also letting people know um, if they want to give it a try, how they can do that on an individual level, or maybe even how they could bring this back to their agency. And you, you've already kind of mentioned the whole cor corporate clients too. Yeah. So uh, 
we have, yeah, I think 46 published courses right now. Um, and we, uh, will always continue to add new content. It's a good place for people to learn about things like meditation and mindfulness and yoga and just explore it a little bit. Like you have a great course on there, um, yoga for absolute beginners so that people can just kind of understand intellectually why yoga is beneficial. And then you have a couple of courses on there that you teach very simple, very, very simple for beginners, even chair yoga, you know? Um, and you know, yes, we have meditation and mindfulness, but a couple of those courses are taught by a retired cop, Eric Hulse, you know, so he's, um, he's a great meditation instructor. And so for people who think, Oh, I don't, he's kind of hippie. I don't want to take it from like a 27 year old in Lululemon pants. Okay. Well you can learn about meditation from a retired cop. We also have courses on like sleep hygiene and all, all the thing, all the things that trouble first responders. You have a couple of great courses on there. Your course where you talk about chronic inflammation and stress and that. So, um, and then, you know, some of Brenda Dietzman's courses, um, developing women leaders is such a good one. Her, her course on generations that helps with recruiting and retention. Uh, so it's a little bit of everything. Uh, Darren Ivy, retired law enforcement who, you know, talks about journaling. He's also got some leadership courses on there, uh, how to be a trauma informed leader, but he also talks about things you wouldn't expect, you know, him to talk about like the, the importance of journaling. Um, and then, you know, Angela has a, a really great course on um, post-traumatic growth, which is something that a lot of people haven't, haven't heard about. So uh, just some really cool topics to dip your toe in. And um, yeah, so organizations can sign up for a subscription for their employees if that's something that's important. And individuals, it's $19 a month for a subscription. And that gives you access to all the courses and all the courses we add in the future. And, um, I'm going to give your listeners a deal. Ooh, tell us. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to give your listeners an opportunity to just go have a, an account for a month, just for a month, have it for free and go kick the tires and maybe take some of your courses. Cause I know these are your fans. These are your friends and fans and, and, um, they'd probably love to take some of your courses. Um, I think I kind of got off track there. What else did you want? <laughs> no, you, you no, you, you got it. And that's, and that's actually very, very generous of you. So for those who may maybe want to take you up on that, what is it that they need to do? And of course, we'll put all of this into the show notes as well. Yeah. I'm going to give you a discount code for your listeners that you can drop into the show notes. So it'll just be guns and yoga, G U N S A N D Y O G A guns and yoga will be your discount code. And, uh, they can have, uh, a membership for one month for free. And that's for the premier membership, which is our featured product that has all of these great courses and, um, they can cancel at any time. So if they just want it, for just that month and go take as many courses as they can in a month. And then it's not for them. They decide to cancel or they can come and join us and be a member. Yeah, that's very generous. And, and I highly recommend that people who are listening, take uh, take you up on that um, because there are some really great courses. I haven't even been all the way through all of the courses on there. And I try as much as I can to, to take all of the courses. Um, I still have a few more to go. But what, what I want to just take a minute to say about the um, all of those courses and what you were saying, because you mentioned so many different topics, is that 
in law enforcement and in first responder culture in general, traditionally we've been really good about the operational hard skills, um, but not so much about these soft skills, um, like, like you're referring to. And I think it's changed. I've absolutely seen a difference even between the time that you and I first spoke until now. Um, I like to call it this tipping point. After I read this book called The Tipping Point, I see that there's just finally this shift that has happened and people are really starting to understand why it's so important and the integration of, you know, you talked about a lot of the leadership classes that you, that you have that, that uh, a lot of like Brenda and Darren, I don't know if Angela does any, um, that they teach and just this overlap between wellness and leadership, these soft skills that, that everything has something to do with everything else. It's all connected. Being a good leader means taking good care of yourself. Um, and then another thing I like about all the different courses that you have is that healing and wellness, it's not one size fits all. Even if you don't want to hear about mindfulness and meditation, you might want to hear about sleep. You want, might want to hear about chronic inflammation. You might want to hear about post-traumatic growth. So I, I think there's something for everyone, um, which is another reason that I encourage anyone listening to, to check it out. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about meditation and mindfulness. Those are my topics. Yeah. I mentioned yoga, but you also have some other very non-yoga, really good courses on there as because you are a wellness professional and you are a, a wellness coach. So you have some great stuff on there. Um, so in general terms, yes, we focus on holistic wellness because that's something that needs to be accepted and integrated into first responder professions. And we talk a lot about resilience and building your resilience and restoring your resilience. But a lot of it also is just focused on work-life balance, like things being better at work, things being better at home and finding balance in your life. So it, it's really a little bit of everything. I mean, the only thing you're not going to find is like, you know, the, the tactical stuff. Cause that's covered. <laughs> the tactical stuff is covered. You guys got that down. The soft skills. Another term I like to use for soft skills is emotional survival skills. <laughs> like mm -hmm. That's a good skills, one. You know, I mean, that's just something that's, um, I don't know how these crucial skills ever became soft skills, but they did. I think we need, we need a little reframing. Yeah, I think we probably, I think you're right. We need to come up with a better name for, for that. But, but it, it just, I say it cause it's what people know. So you know, yeah, these, yeah. So, these quote oh, unquote yeah, yeah. soft skills. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, it, but it's really, you know, in, in all seriousness, it's just not anything that we really have ever talked much about in, um, in our profession. And it's still new. I mean, even though we've been doing it, people are, it's more accepted. You're seeing it more and more. Um, those people who have been around for a while, um, present company excluded because I've, I've come around, but we, uh, we still may not want to hear some of this stuff. And I think that's, what's important about introducing it early on to the, to these new recruits and developing it and continuing to integrate it throughout their careers with something like the pause first Academy, because you can't expect for someone who hasn't been taught because it's not innate to them. Some of these things that we're talking about, quote unquote, soft skills to suddenly have them at a certain point. Um, so I think it's really important that, that these things are developed and, you know, you, you can train resilience. I absolutely believe that you can. I agree 100%. And I hear a lot of people say, um, that, um, 
you know, the young people, they, they already know all this. They don't want to hear it They're you know, but something that happens is young people sometimes in these courses and these trainings are maybe not as dialed in as they should be. You know, I've noticed that teaching before, um, because they're young and they're still invincible, right? They're they're They haven't been on that long, but any of, any of this information that you integrate into the academy, into in-service training, you're planting seeds, you're planting seeds. And so when they do, you know, hit a rough patch in their career, you have planted some seeds. And the other thing I'd like to say briefly is I hear from and talk to way too many people who got none of this soft skills training, got none of the mental, emotional, you know, just, it was just like, do the job and power on and do the job and power on. But I meet and talk to way too many people towards the end of their career and way too many after retirement. And they don't even realize that they're in bad shape until they retire. In fact, we've got a couple coming up in the new book that talk about this very thing. I did not realize how bad things were until I retired. And then I no longer had the job and that structure and that busyness you know, that helped me power through. And then I was forced to face everything. Well, that's unfortunate because that hits people like a hundred million ton of bricks. Yeah. It's a way to avoid dealing with the things that, that are there. And, uh, I too, because I'm already a one-time retiree and my, you know, second job, but retired from law enforcement. And, uh, I, myself, but also so many of my peers struggle in retirement. And I have heard time and again, um, with those that I'm closer with that they wished that these things were things that they had dealt with, that they knew more about, had more knowledge and information earlier on so that they weren't in such a bad spot right around retirement. Um, now a lot of, a lot of these people are doing what they need to do to get through it, but it, it would have definitely been a little bit easier if it had started earlier on. Yes. Prevent prevention. Is, is, exactly. Is the, yeah. Is, is easier than trying to do all the catch up once you're already retired. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I'm, and I'm really glad you're honing in on that retirement population because that holds a very special place in my heart. Um, and I see that even though it's important to be doing this work for, for these younger people coming in, Um, we cannot, we absolutely can't forget about those who have dedicated their lives and their careers. A hundred percent. In fact, I just got goosebumps when you said that you and I are close to the same age. So we know a lot of people around this age that have already faced or are facing now what happens, you know, when you retire that they didn't expect. And of course, you know, I lost my husband just not even three months after he retired. So I, you know, I have a lot of heart for this topic and it's why we created our eight hour training all about this for, for that specific demographic. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I do want to mention just because it's what I do with my, in my full-time role is that anyone listening who's still employed with an agency Um, I want you to remember the retirees, um, try to include them, even though they're, they may be gone from the agency, try to keep them included in the wellness things that you are doing, whatever that looks like. You know, one of the things that we do is we include retirees in our peer support program. That means they get access to all the trainings. They get access to mental health resources. Um, just another way to keep them connected and to help them 
get through what maybe they personally need to get through. And then they, of course, there's that ripple effect. Even though there are other retirees that aren't on the team, they talk with other retirees and they share this information, which I have to say is probably one of the more valuable things is that you, you spoke to it too. One person learns something. One person reads a book. One person listens to a podcast. They share that with somebody else. And you never know how many other people are benefiting from that ripple effect, which, which is where, where I probably should, should wrap up because we're just about at time anyway, um, because that's absolutely what all of the things that you're doing has done. I mean, I know, and you know, you've helped so many people, um, but I don't really think you're ever going to truly know the impact that you've made. It's the same thing with you and, and the whole team really, because um, we are all, this is our world, all of us, this is our world. I don't think any of us will ever know the number of people that we've reached. And I've said this to every person who I've interviewed for, for this book. I've said, you will never know the people that your story reaches and you make a huge difference for them, but, but you will. And that's, what's going to make this movement grow is do what you can do, do, do whatever you can reach out to one person, help one person write that book take that course, become an instructor, become a coach, like do the thing, do the one thing, whatever it is you can do. We all have something we can contribute to this. Any little thing, join your peer support team or whatever it is, because yeah, it's that sharing of stories, that ripple effect that's going to make, it's going to change things, improve the lives of first responders. Yes, I could, I couldn't have said it better myself. So I do have to say that, um, I am hopeful that maybe I could get a little early edition of the new second book when it's ready to get released. Oh, we'll so I see. Can... <laughs> if you're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kim, for those listeners who want to find you, let's wrap it up and make sure that they know the website, like all share all the things and maybe remind them of that coupon code again. Okay. So to check out the online academy, it's academy.pausefirst.com, academy.pausefirst.com. And from there, you can click over to the website as well. Uh, if you want to learn more about the team or, or on or in-person training, um, but that's the academy site. And then the discount code for your listeners is guns and yoga, G-U-N-S-A-N-D-Y-O-G-A for one month free on Pause First Academy and the premier membership. Go kick the tires and check out some of these courses. Uh, what about social media? Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Pause First Academy, and on Instagram, Pause First Academy. And I'm on LinkedIn as well, Kim Colgrove. And a lot of people connect with me through LinkedIn. In fact, one of the people that's going to be in the new book reached out and became a connection on LinkedIn. And that's how we got to know each other and flash forward. He's in the book. All right. Well, thank you again for sharing all those resources and for being the first returning podcast guest on the Guns Woo! and Yoga podcast. Yay. Yay. Thanks, Kim. Thank you, Wendy. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you found value, please write a review, share it with someone, and subscribe. You will find all access to links that were discussed in the show notes. And remember, we are better together. Mm -hmm.